Welcome to Flipped, the Irish animation podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of Flipped. Um, as usual, we just want to say thank you to all, for all the shout outs and um, retweets and Facebook likes and everything that's been going on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we've got a good episode for you today. Um, Meg is chatting to Damien O'Connor. Uh, Damien is a man of many talents. He's written and directed five shorts so far, uh, those being Mutt, Le Dog, The Ifton nominated Dick Terrapin, After You, and most recently the beautiful short Anya, which he made in association with the To Russia With Love um, to promote... Damien is a man of many talents. He's written and directed five shorts so far, uh, those being Mutt, Le Dog, the IFTA nominated Dick Terrapin, After You, and most recently, the beautiful short Anya, which he made in association with To Russia With Love, to promote not only their cause, but also the positive outcome of their work so far. Damien has worked as an editor on Noddy, Olivia the Pig, and the Emmy-nominated Octonauts. Uh, he was retake supervisor on Doc McStuffins for Disney, and currently works for the Oscar-nominated Brown Bag Studios in Dublin. Um, take it away, Megan. <laughs> I totally admire and am on for and uh, I was just wondering you know do you find that it's something that kind of keeps you really fresh and inspired is it a conscious decision or it's I don't know it was born out of a lot of different things because it's I'll tell you it was born out of the fact that basically okay I'll just go how far back do you want me to go as far back as you want okay then Mm -hmm. Um, basically it's born out of the fact that I left school very young I dropped out of school when I was 17 so I had no qualifications at all so at 17 I didn't really care and I had no qualifications and that was pretty much that as far as everyone's concerned. But a neighbour of mine actually knew I could draw and he taught at Valley Firmish Art College. So he said to me, look, you can draw, let me test you and see how good a drawer you are. So he got me over and I did a drawing test for him and he loved it. So he helped me get my portfolio together. So I had my portfolio and I went to Dunleary and Valley Firmish. And when I was interviewed for Dunleary, I wanted to do live action film because that's, I'll admit, my first love. So don't, don't uh, kick me off your blog or anything now because of it. But um, live action is my first love. So I went to live action and they said, well, not a chance because you've no leaving cert. So your portfolio was strong enough that we'll talk to you about animation. So I met the animation guy, a guy called David Brain. And David Brain said, he had a look and he said, look, you've no leaving cert. We'll go back and do it. And I said, nope, not going to happen. No interest. So he said, well, I'm immigrating to America. So uh, I'm just going to write down your name and just say accepted because I'm, I'm immigrating and I think you should be in college. And I honestly thought that's how you got into college. So I didn't think it was like that big a deal. So when I walked out of the office, the people waiting to come in were like, how was it? And I was like, oh, I'm in, no problem. See ya. And I went home and then I got a letter about a few weeks later saying, you're in, but on receipt of your leaving cert. And I thought, ah, formality. Yeah. They, they all know I don't have it. So when I started to go, I lasted about four weeks before they, about five staff, I'd say, came in, in the group, going, where is he? And I was like, I'm here, and they brought me downstairs, and they said, you have to leave, because you've no leaving cert. So you have to go, you can't be in this college. And even though the guy accepted you, he's gone now, so you have okay. to go too. And I just basically refused. I said, I'm not, I'm not going, because you took me in. <laughs> so, well, it wasn't even fair play, it was more, like, it sounds kind of like I was, like, doing a kind of a Gandhi-like decision, you know what I mean? <laughs> not, not, but I wasn't, I was just thinking, well, I mean, and like I'm going and I'm learning. Where. Yeah. So I learned uh, 2D animation in college. So when I left, um, my final year mark was a dash, and no one knew what a dash was, because an asterisk is, is see someone about a fail or whatever, but a dash is just, I think it means I never turned up for college, ever. 
Right. Um, because they did spend an enormous amount of time trying to kick me out. So I, it, it just seemed that that was a way of kind of, of, of making it sweet. So I had my dash, and obviously a dash didn't really inspire too much employment opportunities. So I ended up fixing mobile phones. Um, so that was the first port of call, and then I was doing that. But I, I got the first film board grant to do uh, the first ever framework scheme they did. I was lucky enough to get accepted for that. So at that stage, then I made my first framework. So that was in years ago, showing my age in 96. And Must. That was Mutt. Don't yeah. me. Oh, yeah, I've been doing my research. Yeah. So yeah, that was Mutt in 96. And in fact, I'll get back to Mutt in a minute. Okay. But um, it's funny because when I made Mutt, I was like, right, this is it. I'm out of my mobile phone world now and, yeah. and into animation. And nothing happened. Like, it was, I was very inexperienced and it's not very good. So I was like, this would be great. But then not, not a whole lot happened. So trundled on and then eventually got a job. I think I did a second frameworks. I got a job then doing EU graphic learning, graphic design, learning, learning company, okay. and I did a second frameworks film, and I thought, okay, the second frameworks film, this will get me, this will get me going now, and I'll get a job in the animation industry, and the whole lot, and again, it made it, and not much happened, right, it okay. just went out, and people were like, good film, but yeah. no job offers, and uh, so I was like, okay, so out of frustration, um, I trying to get into kind of the live action industry, or into the film industry at all, I thought, okay, I'll do something, in hindsight, really stupid, um, I will travel to the worst place on earth, right, to, and it, it sounds awful, I'm really ashamed saying it, right, but I was, was going to go to the worst place on earth to meet the worst off person on the planet, because you always hear there's someone worse than you, and yeah. you always think, okay, there is, and I just got this ridiculous idea that we would meet the one person in the world, well, you couldn't say there's someone worse off than you, because right. they are the worst off person, mm -hmm. right, so in order to do that, I thought, well, I'll go to the worst place on earth, which was, as I say, then this was Angola in West Africa during the war. So I got, um, there was a voluntary redundancies going in the e-learning company, so I signed up immediately. The minute the email went out, I hit, take, sign me up. In fact, I got in trouble because it was three minutes after the email went out, I replied saying, sign me up. And they actually brought me in to say, you shouldn't have done that because it, it, it kind of demonstrated you didn't want to be here. And I was thinking, what are you going to do? <laughs> Fire me? <laughs> like, so they said, okay, well, look, we're giving you the voluntary redundancy because you clearly want out. And I was like, okay. So I got my voluntary redundancy and um. I used the power of it to uh, basically go to Angola. And what happened was the production company heard about this and they thought, look at this idiot going to the worst place on earth for no good reason whatsoever. Um, let's follow him and uh, basically have a bomb, send the camera crew with him. And then it, it kind of went weird because they wanted me to be in front of the camera. And I was going, that's terrible because I'll be in a feeding center saying, I know you've problems, but I just been made redundant. And it was, you know, it was just awful. So anyway, I went over and we filmed and went to the worst place on earth. And it was all horrific and horrible. So obviously, I mean, what I hadn't, and this, again, makes me sound like such an idiot, but what I hadn't actually factored in was that the worst place on earth would be pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, it was. <laughs> and also that in the middle of the, the longest-running civil war in, in Africa as well, that it probably wouldn't be somewhere you'd pop back to, you know what I mean? So anyway, I went over and did that, came back and thought, right, now I've got this four-hour kind of road trip to the worst place on earth, um, but I need to edit it down into like 45 minutes. So I started, I learned editing, uh, did a screen training on course to learn editing to, to edit it. So I did my course, started doing editing, made a third framework while this was going on um, called Dick Terrapin. And so I made Dick Terrapin and at that stage I was unemployed because I'd take my voluntary dancing and basically blown it going off to war. And uh, so I'd come back and was working my, anyway, I did my editing and through a very long-winded version of events, I ended up um, filming horse racing in, in 
for TV uh, in Fraidring with the walking circles and following the camera. So I was freelancing doing that and then I worked my way up, basically ended up directing in the, in the outside broadcast truck. Um, and it was hell on earth. It was worse than Angola because I've no interest in horse racing or horses or anything to do with horse racing. And um, every day you just go somewhere where you're surrounded by thousands of people who live and breathe it and they love it and they're okay. obsessed by it. Mm-hmm. I would never know who was important enough to pick up on camera either. So okay. they'd be going, it's X, Y, and Z, the parade ring, and you'd be going, um, did someone get to point them out? <laughs> so anyway, but uh, I did that. And in the middle of doing that, um, re- I did it for about two or three years, I think. And uh, I'd given up on animation. I thought, well, that's it now. I've done three, was it three? Yeah, three um, frameworks films. And uh, that's it. Uh, I'm never going to go back into animation. I'm 2D and so on. 3D and I'm going to say 3D. So then I got a phone call out of the blue from Bramwell Films and they said they were looking for, uh, I think, an assistant editor um, at that time. But they'd heard I was a 2D animator, trained 2D animator, but also uh, a trained editor, mm-hmm. which I learned in Goal thing. So would I come in and interview? And when I came into an interview, the guy who interviewed me actually said, oh, I remember you, you made Mutt back about 15 years, 10 years ago, whatever it was. Right. And I remember I saw it and I really liked it. So eventually Mutt did eventually get me kind of Nice. So that's kind of why my career, and then I started in Rambag as an assistant editor and Lottie and just kept coming back and then I made After You, which was uh, computer generated. So I learned, making that learned, taught me kind of rigging and everything I need to know. And uh, so yeah, that's it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there short, short, short and sweet. <laughs> and that was actually, I remember talking to you before about doing After You and kind of, you know, it being a huge very interesting learning curve. Yeah. And um, with that wasn't the first like you had worked on um kind of Nadine and Olivia before mm. that, am I right? Yeah. Um but well, seeing it from this perspective was totally new to Yeah, me. like when I worked on, on Olivia and Nadia, I was because I was I was editing analytics and then editing in the, the finished footage and I remember when I got the money to do after you and I was in here kind of going, okay, what like basically what do we need to you know, make a computer animated film. I remember asking people in here, kind of whispering, like, what's a rig, right? And, oh. and what's skinning and what's texturing? And they'd be going, really? <laughs> How long have you been here? And you still don't know this stuff. But it was because you're in editor, you're, you're away from that. So basically, the best way to learn it is to do it. So yeah, we dived in and started making it. And it was, it was great because suddenly I was over limiting myself in a way because of my 2D background. I'd be sort of saying, well, we'll film from the waist up because then you don't have to do a walk cycle and, you know, all these kind of cheats. And over time, then people were saying, you know, we just move the camera back like five feet. <laughs> and I was going, shit, I mean, that'll take weeks. And then they'd move the camera back while I sat next to them. And you'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> this, what is this new wonderful world of being able to get what you want? So, um, and one very important lesson actually was not to, because you can move the camera, obviously, you, I'm always kind of aware, am I over moving the camera? You know, I can't, when I watch a short, it drives me crazy when I see um, a camera kind of, pan down behind the couch and then pan back up again <laughs> for no good reason at all. Yeah. So the 2D definitely instilled in me, like move the camera if there's a reason to move the camera, but otherwise keep it pretty much locked off. Um, but you know what? It means that if there's a problem um, with the shot, you're not compromising yourself because you're worried about how long it's going to take to draw or mm-hmm. whatever else. So that's great. And no rostrum camera. I, I do have that theory that um, if you're starting from post-production and kind of working your way back, yeah. you really understand what's happening at the very end and kind of the, the problems that you'll come up against and mm-hmm. um, so would you would you consider it to be yeah very much so um see one, one of the things was i teach occasionally as well um story and storyboarding and one thing i always say is look, just kind of learn everything um because if you learn absolutely everything then you're going to kind of know what annoys and what doesn't annoy but above all else you should learn editing because editing is basically removing everything you don't need or want right so it's going to trickle back all the way to script and all the way to storyboard 
So even when I'm writing, I'll be aware, well, look, this paragraph needs to be sort of coded up. Is, am I going to be putting it in an analytic? Probably not. So I can cut it at writing stage, save me you know, a couple of days drawing, and save me a couple of days making the animatic. So yeah, basically, if you, if you know the principles of editing um, your lap, and you can, you can, it, it does definitely help all the way back. Also, you know what kind of annoys and doesn't annoy in post-production, because basically when you're doing storyboards, there's tools in Final Cut Pro that you use to basically make the camera moves, and the storyboards need to be drawn a certain way to, to enable the Final Cut Pro user to do these camera moves. And occasionally you'll get boards in that just aren't drawn that way. They're, they're, they've kind of drawn the camera moves themselves in the boards and things like that. And it, it, it drives you crazy because you spend a lot of time just fixing this stuff. So because I know all that, basically when I'm sitting down to edit, um, I can do it myself. Uh, and that's, that's a joy. Now Mark Byrne, who was an editor in here, he actually helped a lot for me at the earlier stage in editing, which is wonderful as well, because you can just sit back and concentrate on, on objectively looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, but it even means, like, even this morning I was in editing, um, again, I can just nip in and sit down and just start editing and tweaking and honing. Because to me, the editing, the animatic and the editing and the thing is, 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 you know, I would spend probably about four to six weeks doing the animatic and getting it right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all down just to getting the edit done and locked so it, it flows as well. The other thing, obviously, as well, is you're not you're not relying on someone else. You're not sort of trying to convey to them exactly what it is you need here. Yes. Um, you can just sit down and keep at it till you get it right, yeah. which is great. So yeah. learning, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I was going to ask you about was um, how much of um, of your short directing, writing, all of the previous mm -hmm. stuff, how much of that helps you prepare for becoming an episodic director now? Um, actually, I found the reverse is true that because I'm the episodic directing and the storyboard revising and the storyboarding has helped huge amounts in the short because basically what what would happen is when you make a short you basically sit down and you go okay this is the first idea in my head and you know you'll think it and make sure it's the right choices and then you'll sit down and you'll draw it and you'll, you'll do whatever occasionally you'll compromise yourself because you just don't want to do the extra work of having to reboard or, or whatever else mm -hmm. but from episodic directing and revising and storyboarding you you get used to notes whereby a lot of people are basically pushing to get the absolute best 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 finished product um, and because of that then you become acutely aware of of these kind of where you are cutting corners or you are kind of you know um, easing off a little bit on what you what you could possibly do so because of all the notes you get from episode directing that kind of trickled in when I was making Anya because I was thinking you know what I'm not 100% happy with this storyboard panel and yes it is hassle to go and redraw it and it is going to take a while to get it right but I'm just going to go and do it because basically at the end of the day in your head you've got all these invisible people giving you notes now yeah. and you, you know yourself from, from the amount of notes and from all the opinions of, of very good, very talented people. So you hear those opinions when you're making the short and you start actually thinking to yourself, you know what, let's, let's, let's appease, let's yeah. appease the imaginary voices <laughs> in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep them sweet. Um, so then that, that does bring us quite nicely to, uh, to Anya and, and how that began. Mm -hmm. The way it worked was I had, uh, there was a company called Wildfire Films that made a documentary about Russia Blood about 10 years ago. Um, so they knew Debbie Egan who set up Russia Blood and they knew her quite well. And I had actually made, helped make a documentary with them not too long ago at all. And because I was helping them make this documentary, they were aware of After You, my, my last short. So Debbie Egan got in touch with Wildfire one day and basically said to them, did they know anyone who could animate Matt? And they said, well, we know this guy, Damien, give him a call. They rang me in work, Wildfire did, and they said, look, we expect a call from Debbie Egan. So I said, fine, whatever, go ahead. And Debbie Egan rang and she basically said, look, want an ad? And I said, nah, no interest at all, really, um, because honestly, it's just an ad will get lost in the noise of the internet and it's not going to help anyone and it's going to take an inordinate amount of time to do. And we're just too busy in here anyway and it, the whole thing wasn't going to work. 
And I was about 45 minutes kind of convincing Debbie that this was a terrible idea. And Debbie wasn't taking no for an answer as much as I was kind of wishing she would. So eventually I um, hung up the phone and went back to my desk and there was an email from Debbie um, waiting for me. And basically said, right, so where do we go from here? As though the previous 45 minutes had actually never happened at all. So at that stage, I was I thought it was amusing, but I rang Wildfire Films to basically say, oh, well, is this some sort of classical joke? <laughs> what, 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 what is this all about? And they were laughing because they know Debbie well. And they said, look, she's extremely driven. Extremely passionate. That's how she managed to rebuild an orphanage over 16 years in Russia. So, you know, worth listening to. <laughs> so I went back and I looked on the website and began to read about the kids in, in the orphanage themselves. And it was heartbreaking. And I thought, okay, this is, this is a serious issue. And not, not only serious, but there's probably something I could do to help. Um, and I remember actually, I went back recently to the first emails from uh, her email saying, you know, carry on till now. And my second email was something along the lines of, okay, look, I'll, I'll help advise whoever it is decides to do this for you. And then my third email was sort of like, no, no, if you go and get someone else, I'll, I'll <laughs> gently coerce them into you know, what, they, what they can do and help them. And then basically just, she sent me her book in the post. She's written a biography. I read that and I was thinking, okay, it's a fascinating story. So from that, I thought, okay, I'd be interested, but the only way I'd be interested in doing it is if we made a short film. Because a short film, the entire initiative is what interested me actually, because we're used to kind of the charity singles at Christmas and we're used to charity calendars. And I just thought, you know what, let's, let's actually give something to people um, for the charity. So it's not just the charity from there going, give us money for free. We're actually basically saying, here's the product. And look, watch the product. And if you like it and you're entertained or moved or charmed by it, just throw some money towards the charity. So you're basically buying the thing after the thing has been made. Um, and I think that's the way the whole business model on the internet's going anyway, is you put your product out there and if people like it enough to pay for it, then you know what I mean, it, it, it keeps going. Yeah. So that kind of intrigued me as well. So I pitched all that to Debbie and she was fantastic. She said, go for it, absolutely. Um, knock yourself out, whatever you want to do, they'd, they'd be willing to help me. Mm -hmm. So first protocol was, obviously I read her book. In the book, there's a lot of heartbreaking stories from kids, etc. So I sat down and I wrote a kind of one-page synopsis. And I was thinking, okay, here's my one-page synopsis. And at that stage, it was very different. It was actually a bedtime story of um, a woman reading a bedtime story to a little kid. And Debbie loved it and I loved it, so we started going down that road and while we were making the animatic it became quite clear quite quickly that it was the world's worst bedtime story because you've got this mother and she's basically saying, hey, you know, here's a really sad orphan and nothing, their parents aren't around, they're in the woods, and nightmare. I don't know why anyone would do it. So I, uh, that, that was a problem, so we kind of went back looking at it. Um, and around that stage, while we were trying to work out the problems with the sort of the script and the animatic and everything else, Debbie suggested going to the orphanage. Um, to see for myself. So went over to the orphanage and it was really surreal because it was like going into a cartoon because everything we'd drawn and kind of planned out plotted out, some were based on photographs of the Horde of Orphanage, but a lot of them were just based on the kind of references off the internet of abandoned buildings in Russia or whatever. So I arrived and suddenly I'm thinking, my God, this is exactly what's been in my head. Um, we don't need to animate this film at all, we can do it in a live action. Um, but this, this is wonderful. So I went there and that changed kind of the, the, the whole narrative. So it was lucky that I went at that stage and not too far into production and all the rest so we could tweak and hone um, generally to kind of reference the, the kids. Yeah. The, kids yeah. the thing is, when, when most people heard I was going to Russian orphanage, they were sort of thinking, myself included, it's like, oh, it's going to be a nightmare. And we've all seen the images of kids on beds and just, just grim and terrible. And that was kind of what I kind of thought it would be. And I arrived there and it was, it was amazing. It was bright, sunny, happy kids cycling on bikes and playing and joking and birds singing. And it was, it was lovely and it was kind of very surreal. So uh, day one, the kids are a little bit obviously wary of strangers coming over, especially strangers taking photos of their heads for a, a film that they're making. And then by day two, they kind of warmed up a bit and, and were a bit more approachable. And then 
So I, I'd be chatting to them, and one thing that struck me was they could never understand why anyone would make a film about them anyway, because so as far as they're concerned, they're on the scrap heap of life. Like, no one really cared about them when they were born and when they were, you know what I mean, yeah. into life. They know they cared for now in the orphanage very much so, but they were kind of saying on a, on a bigger, wider scale, why would anyone make a film about them, and why would anyone watch a film about them? Because really, they're, and it's heartbreaking, but they, they deem themselves to be kind of worthless anyway. Um, so that, that really struck home. But then the other massive, massive message was the message of hope from them. They're extremely optimistic about the future. They, they'll say, look, we had a bad start in life, but things aren't too bad now in the orphanage, and it can only get better. And from talking to the workers and the kids over there, I found out that some doctors and lawyers have come through Hortlow Orphanage. So suddenly I realised, actually, all my kind of preconceptions about sad, miserable story about a kid in an orphanage, suddenly, well, it's not really that anymore, because one thing I hadn't put into that script or the, the animatic at all was kind of this message of hope. So it's basically how do we kind of make it that the film doesn't just sort of go look sad story give money it's, it's actually now going actually you know what there's definite change here if you do you know if, if they keep getting the care they need things can improve and get better so that that, that was great because it meant I could come back and, and re kind of rehome and change and tweak um, which we did and and then that message of hope is now very fundamental to the film and also the other thing is we knew we'd be showing the kids as well so you don't you know what I mean when you meet the kids and they trust you to kind of put their lives into a cartoon. You don't want to go, okay, thanks for all that information and trust now. Now I'm just going to go off because I've kind of already written the script. So, <laughs> so we have to go back and say, okay, look, you know what? We'll, we'll take everything, send it on board, right? Yeah. We'll do proper notes from proper mm-hmm. kiddie people and then um, we'll go back and, and address them. So that was great too because I knew, look, I don't want to go back and basically cheat Joe and say, it didn't work for my narrative. Yeah. So I just <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, it meant a bit more work, obviously, but it meant it, to me now. I think we got a good balance between, um, you know, look, it's not exactly jazz hands and, and happy mm-hmm. sing songs at the start, but you know, it, it gets better, and that's that's the most important message I think as well, because uh, people get very jaded with charity anyway, and certainly in Angola, like in Angola, you're basically in in an area where there's a lot of charity being given, mm-hmm. but the problems are so overwhelmingly huge. You're basically thinking, look, you're putting an elastoplast on a massive wound here, and you know, until the wound is healed, really, you're just basically mopping up. Um, but then he goes somewhere like Cordoba, and he basically says, "Wow, look, they're genuine, you know, desperate, terrible people come in, and they leave positive and everything else." And you go, "Well, that's wonderful." So, so you can see the actual work being done, and you can see lives are being being saved. And um, I've said this to Debbie as well, but uh, it sounds terrible because of the whole, <laughs> the whole Nazi conversations. <laughs> but it's like Oscar Schindler in that. Oh, right, Do you know yeah. what I mean? And like she she will take one life and save that one life, and then they will go off and have families of their own, and those kids won't end up back in orphanages, which was usually what happened. So they'll go off and have families of their own, and their kids will have kids, and their kids, and you know what I mean. Whole generations will will basically have been saved, and yeah. it, it's miraculous. So when you see something like that, you begin to look at your script and think, hmm. Maybe I'll put an extra week or two in the this right. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, making it better. Yeah. And um, so, so the kids were really intrigued when they saw it then a few weeks ago. Yeah, we had the premiere for them, and it was gonna be it was gonna be a kind of low key affair. Um, we were gonna go over and we were gonna show them the film and you know keep it keep it like that. And then it just all, all hell broke loose. It turned into a massive um, kind of media event. The news came down to cover it. The, the governor of Bryansk, I think it's a region of 4 million people. So the governor of Bryansk, governor came down, um, the Irish ambassador and his wife came down. So it, it turned into a very big affair. And in a really good way, though. It was yeah. great. Um, big fancy day for the kids, obviously, which was well deserved. Um, so yeah, but then what happened was actually, and again, this shows my idiocy, I was on the plane flying over there, and it's kind of dawning on me that 
hang on, we're, we're about to go to an orphanage to show orphans a sad film about being an orphan, right? This is a terrible idea. No matter how you look at it, it's a really, really bad idea. And uh, so we were all really worried about it. And we were even thinking, look, is there any way of re-editing the film before we show it to them or stopping the DVD for the end? Or, you know what I mean? Just something to, to kind of sugar the pill. And we discussed it quite a lot. And we, we just thought, eventually we thought, look, you know what? It is what it is. And we've just got to take it on the chin and, and do it. We had a test screening, actually, on the day. Um, we had a test screening before the actual screening. And two of the orphanage um, workers were in watching it with us, and they were crying at the end of the film. And at that stage, I was in a panic, thinking, "This is it now." I mean, they're they're crying at this; we're in we're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, and then the kids came in, and basically what had happened was all the formal people sat over one side, um, doing their formal stuff. And then Mimi Dell, the producer, noticed that all the kids who were all dressed up to the nines, whatever, were kind of sat over the other side, and they were it wasn't that they were uneasy, but they're obviously it's a big day, and you know the nerves are there. So Mimi Dell went and sat on the kiddie side, and we're kind of messing and mucking about. So basically, as the, they put on a big elaborate concert of songs and singing and the whole lot. But as the screening got nearer and nearer, I was thinking, okay, now it's, it's D-Day, right? So if the kids, if we're going to upset the kids, it's, it's going to be carnage, right? Yes. Um, so the film started anyway. So I was basically watching the kids. And the girl I was sitting next to, Sasha, is Anya in the film. She's the blonde Anya. And about four or five years of the kids around us are also in the film. And we'd filmed them the year before running around Port Lowe. And basically, we, so we'd said to them, look, this is kind of you on screen. So when the film started, I was watching them intensely, and especially the extra sad scenes in the film coming up, I'd be looking at them thinking, please, 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 don't, don't get upset. And they loved it. They were, they were beaming from ear to ear. They were movie stars. They, they just thought it was hysterical that they were cartoons <laughs> running around, and then they saw themselves. And then after the screening, which was brilliant, was they got them up and, and introduced them. So it was like, here's the real Anya, and a bunch of flowers, and clapping, and whatever. But the girl who says hello in the film, um, Privet, it was heartbreaking. A year ago, basically, we got the kids in a room, and they were all coming in tribute but they're like kids anywhere they were very happily saying tribute yeah. and then she just came in from nowhere and basically saddled up and just gave the world saddest hello and were left and it was heartbreaking because it wasn't acting but she was just basically saying hello and leaving um but she was there at the screening and they basically said oh the girl said someone's here stand up stand up and i thought oh like based on seeing her year before um this this is gonna be hard and she stood up and everyone applauded and she was like hello and they all clapped so the transformation this year was amazing and uh, it was wonderful to see and then apparently after the screening then it was just it was great pizza and coke and messing and face painting and everyone having a laugh <laughs> and it was just like back back to you know kids being kids yeah, um yeah. we left the dvd with them and they they have it well they had it on the loop i hope they don't still have it on the loop in their playroom and uh i, I was sent a video of them watching it and they're basically just laughing pointing at each other going there's you there's you there's you and they all know which characters they play in the film so they just think it's hysterical but anya apparently the girl anya which <laughs> it's weird because we're getting all fight clubby here again. Okay. <laughs> my imaginary world and my thing. Sasha, who plays Anya in the film, um, she apparently has come out of her shadow. She, she before about a year ago, she was, you know, she kind of followed the group around, um, and now the group follows her. So there you go. So it's it's great to see her that she she's definitely blossomed as a result of the film. Yeah. In fact, I think she's coming to Ireland quite soon. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. star star of the film. Star of the film. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, you know, how how important it is. That you write the films that, that you direct. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It, see, I prefer directing to writing. Definitely, definitely prefer. Um, the thing about you see the thing about directing is when you direct a film, you know you're making the film because it's money has been given to to direct it, right? So you know that the film is going somewhere that's going to be seen by an audience, and it's it's great. Whereas if you're writing a film, you're basically just writing it on the off chance that you'll go around and get money to eventually direct it, etc. So you've got that. That's one definite improvement on directing. But the other thing is too is, is I, as far as writing goes, it's kind of 
I don't know where else I get scripts from because they, you can't just go out there and say send me the world's you know like send me all your short scripts because you're you're I don't know what you're gonna get and, and the chances of getting something that really hits home to, mm -hmm. to being something you really like to invest all the time and effort into getting money for and directing and all that is it would be unusual I think mm -hmm. um, Having said that though, we see again with episodic directing, you're directing someone else's scripts anyway. And now albeit the scripts are, you know, solid gold, which helps an awful lot. But but it, it's really good training to do because it means that you you know it means you basically have to re reassess everything you're reading. Whereas if you write your own script, obviously you've imagined it in your own head. So yeah. the script is basically a template to let people know what's in your head if you've written it yourself. Um, with Annie it was kind of different because obviously I had nothing at all. Usually with scripts you'll get an idea and you'll work on it and you'll rewrite it and then from trying to get money for it, you'll rewrite it again and, and make better. But this was different because this was kind of like, okay, go ahead and make write a film from nothing and, and do it. So when I wrote it, I basically was thinking, okay, we'll write this to make it. Um, and it was a very short amount of time. It was like kind of, I'd say about four weeks to write it to animatic, mm -hmm. which I've never done. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, that, that is a short amount of time. Like, yeah, so it was yeah. from one page to to animatic. Would, would have been about six weeks maybe to four weeks in animatic to get to yeah. And then again, we did change it after a Hort Logo trip. So, you know, all in all, maybe it was about two months, but it's definitely normally, like I think after you, it was knocking around for about four years. Okay, so yeah, yeah you know yeah. what I mean? And, and it, it went through everything, musical, everything after you, after you, not Anya. Okay. Anya was never a musical. <laughs> <laughs> after you, it went through everything, yeah, so. It was it, a uh, musical to begin with? Well, no, it was, it was uh, to be, you see, to begin with, the problem was it was just a joke after you, was it just had a punchline, it wasn't really script. Um, so then I changed it into a kind of a musical it was all singing and dancing with no dialogue and awful and then uh, yeah so it just kept changing and then uh, it went from being a man who hated his door to a man who loved his door because uh, a man who hates his door is funny but for just dark reasons you know yes, whereas a man yeah. who loves his door it becomes sweet yeah. so you know I went through a lot of changes but uh, with this we didn't let that luxury so we sit down and do it but I, I actually prefer to sit down and do it I think it's just you just get it done yeah the ending was harder than you because we couldn't work out kind of what the ending should be yeah. to tie it back into the start because mm -hmm. it had to be done visually not because there's no dialogue so we had to do it visually and I remember it was killing me it was just every time I would leave the edit I'd be thinking ah, I haven't got it and it's, it's yeah. not going to work and what is it what is it and the clock's ticking and people are yeah. like well we'll just start making it and then we can work it out like, oh, <laughs> and then finally I got um, through kind of changing everything again and this is back to editing because I could go in and actually edit it swap all the running order around mm -hmm. from doing that I realised that there was a definite key with regards to windows and names and windows and all that and I mm -hmm. thought actually you know what if I use that as the motif then it can end on that and that'll tie it all in and there was a couple of other things we could tie in visually with, with you know the earlier shots could be tied in at the end but in a positive way mm -hmm. and uh, so that was all brilliant so in a weird way without sounding too pretentious but it was kind of visually rewriting it in animatic stage which is something I would never normally recommend right. but it worked for this so um, yeah. but it's it, see writing I don't think it's particularly pleasant really to right. do, you know there's you can't you can't google give my brain ideas <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, or true. help solve this problem I have with my script like yes. there's no there's no one to give you an answer okay, um, yeah. and you can bore people to death asking them but they please won't know yeah so yeah so there you go okay. um, positive <laughs> note <laughs> um, I, I was gonna ask actually just uh, really quickly about about doing films while you're working full time as mm. well. I mean, you've done three films yeah. while you're working full time. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And it, I mean, if you were to give anybody tips, because I, I think most people can't really afford to take yeah. a year out. No, no. Um, so, would you have any tips for anybody who's going to do it? I've kind of been lucky because the way I mean, the way it works is is I was kind of lucky with after you because I was working full time and then there was a break um, in here anyway for about four months mm -hmm. between contracts. So I had that four months just to dive in and do it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but to be honest, it's, it's kind of odd because once you get to a point when you're making a film and there's not a whole lot you can do, right? Mm -hmm. So certainly when you're writing it and storyboarding it and doing the animatic, I think the excitement of, of creating the film gets you through all that. So when it's 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock comes and you dive up into edit and you start to draw or you're here at the weekend drawing storyboards and then make your animatic, mm -hmm. it's all exciting because you're kind of going, okay, we've got to get this right at this stage or we're going to be ruined in, in a year. Mm -hmm. So that's all good and it, momentum carries you forward. And then once the animatic is locked and people watch it and you get good feedback on the animatic, then it kind of goes off into, okay, I mean, it depends because I was art director on Manny as well, so you, you are into character design and looks and, and how everything should be. But I mean, again, it's, it's great because you, you, you're still creating, you're massively creating at that stage. Mm -hmm. And because you'll be working during your day job and then you get an email and it'll be a lovely image or something and mm -hmm. you'll be going, oh, perfect, you nailed it. It's right. really exciting. Then you can go back to your day job and, and okay. compartmentalize. But, um, so then once you're up and running and the animation is in there, I found that when I was at home on my break, I kind of put it in my thumbs, check mm -hmm. email going, send me stuff, send me stuff. Okay. Uh, whereas if you've got a full-time job, stuff will come in. Right. And you really have a lot less time to be messing around on it. Really. Okay. So you'll look at it, you'll kind of go, here's what's wrong with it. And right. Here's what needs to be fixed. And off it goes. Whereas if you say half a day to do that, you can sit there going, what is wrong with this? <laughs> Let me analyze it and study it and reassess. And you know what I mean? And that's yes. not a good thing. So yes. I think just mill through it. I say mill through it for 15 months, but you know, you, yeah, mill, yeah. relatively mill through it. Yeah. So yeah, now working full time and, and doing a second job, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it too much. It depends, yeah. I guess, if you're married and have kids. Because, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's only so much vanishing and coming in late in the weekend and no one can do before yes. people start saying, you gotta let it go. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I don't think I'll be running back to do it. How did working on Annie compare with working on other projects? Because I, I suppose it is was maybe more collaborative and, and because you were working in here yeah. correct me if I'm wrong um, but did you find it was a different experience this time around? It was different in that well there's a few kind of weird ones with this one weird in a good way though mm -hmm. um, it was different because if you just make say after you you're making it as a piece of entertainment mm -hmm. right? so the whole thing is you going I'm going to make a film now and in a year's time I'm going to basically pull down a big sheet and say here's my film everybody mm -hmm. and then they'll watch it and they'll either be insane or they won't and the same will be right you mm -hmm. move on whereas with this you're going you're basically saying to a charity hey guess what if you trust me to spend 15 months making a film this film is going to work and not only will it work in getting you guys exposure but it's going to work and it's going to improve children's lives for the better so that's quite a big you know you've got that in your mind and the whole lot and it, as well as that, then you actually have just the pure raw emotion of it because you go to an orphanage and you, you basically say, hey, how's such and such getting on? And you hear some god-awful stories that, you know, their brother has just died or something. And yeah. suddenly you've got all this awful, horrible reality going on yeah. on this project that you're sitting over here tinkering away with. And you know what I mean? It's, it's kind yeah. of an odd one there because you, until people kind of go themselves to the orphanage, I suppose you're basically just coming back going, here's photos of the kids and this mm. is what's happened to them and this is how they end up in an orphanage. And people will go, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, but then you're always thinking, yeah, but am I getting anywhere near to that kind of heartbreak or hope or whatever into the film? Mm -hmm. um, and also you're acutely aware that your first audience is going to be the kids themselves. My biggest fear as well is, in addition to all that, which just goes to show how anxious I've been for the last 15 months, <laughs> but in addition to all that, you're also thinking, you know, am I making the, the Irish far and away for Russia, right? So okay. basically you've got, like, imagine a fella in Moscow sitting there making a film about Magdalene Laundries, right? Mm -hmm. and sending it over here for us to watch and we're watching it going oh right that's the Magdalene Laundry people in tweed caps getting off steam trains right yeah. you're thinking well no not really yeah. so that was another worry because basically you've got to say to the Russians yeah we made this about you guys yeah. and we're fine we've, we've gotten the all clear from 
from many, many Russians now. Okay. It's authentic <laughs> and everything's good there. Oh, so there was all those things going on. Um, but yeah, mainly it's just the, and it, it hasn't stopped when the film's finished. Now it's only really begun. But there's this overwhelming kind of sense of responsibility that it kind of has to work. Um, because, not because they put all their eggs in the one basket, because they haven't, but it's so many people have heard about it for so long now that when the film went online nine days ago, eight mm -hmm. days ago, um, and went online, that basically we were sort of thinking, what if, what if no one watches it? What if, yeah. now if no one watches your short piece of entertainment, your ego is bruised, and mm -hmm. the film board are probably thinking, well, that didn't go very well. But that's really it, you know, it's yeah. depressing to move on. But if, if this one doesn't do very well, then the entire initiative has failed. Yeah. And then who have you let down? You know what I mean? You're basically, am I going to go back to the orphanage if it doesn't work? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Will I see the kids again? All that stuff's gone on. So, yeah, so it kind of has to, has to do well. Okay. So watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and give them money. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, in, in addition to that, did, did you use it to, to teach? I know that you were doing um, a short story. Uh, oh, maybe I wasn't oh yeah, no, yeah. I, I was. I, I was doing, um, it was a, yeah, it was a film, uh, a short film course about... Uh, Salvation Skillnet or...? Well, there was a few of them. Okay. Yeah, um, there was a few different ones. It, yeah, it was basically how to develop a short okay. film from, from kind of script to screen and how to do it. I, I used it kind of as a, I've, I've done a few of them, as I say, and I would use different versions or different shorts I've done before. Yeah. Um, I did use this one, but it's, it's always very odd because you use it before it's finished. So right. you talk about it every day and you tell everyone why you did all these choices right. and how all this is going to work and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And then you show them a half-finished piece of work <laughs> and they sit there going, all right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. So I kind of held off doing it. I did kind of use it kind of for examples and explain okay. it to me or whatever. Um, and then basically just say, look, I'll, I'll come back to you in a few months and show you the finished film and you can yeah. see if it does work. Or I just use After You mainly because with After You you can say from start to finish, you yes. know, um, and you can show them the pretty pictures. Um, yeah. Because the biggest, one of the biggest struggles always is when you make an animatic and you use the animatic to show whether it be funders who are, are more in the know, say, but with regards to Trusher Blood, and it's not their fault, but they wouldn't know what an animatic necessarily is or mm -hmm. why it should look. You go off for six weeks, you come back and you go, watch this, and you're showing them a black and white, jerky, not very good, not mm -hmm. very emotional, not very exciting thing and they're looking at it thinking is this the film <laughs> like they don't you know what i mean you're yeah. like no no this is not the film so it, there was a bit of that where you just you know you're, you're you've got that concern and it's kind of the same with teaching sometimes because you can be saying this is going to go to this but they need to see the the end result to, to get right. each stage yeah but yeah i used it i use i mean i also used it to be brutally frank for publicity too because the more the merrier so yeah, the more absolutely. people know that the rush of love the better so we choose it for that too how many, how many views is it up to? It is up to 40,000 views since we put it up. And 40,000 is good, but you see, again, this We need more. We need more. <laughs> and then I, I will just compare myself to the 140,000, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll just go, 140,000, how long have they been up? <laughs> and if it's like, if it's over nine days, I'll think, well, okay, yeah. it's still time. But um, donations are, are, I mean, they're not by any stretch pouring in, they're not mm -hmm. by any stretch kind of solving massive problems, but certainly um, donations in are... They're, they're good, they're up quite considerably from what they should be um, as a result of the film, which is wonderful. Right. If you text uh, HUG, H-U-G, to 50300, um, you can send four euros to Russia Blood. So a lot of people were texting in. Again, when I say a lot, I mean, comparatively speaking, yeah. in terms of views, it could always be better. But look, it's money that they got in that they probably wouldn't have got in before. Um, Response-wise, response to film has been brilliant. I mean, the idea of the film was never so much to be an ad, as, as we've covered, mm -hmm. but it was more that it would be a signpost to the to charity's website. So it basically watch the film, and then if you're intrigued or moved, 
click on, see the website, read about the kids in their care. Because once you read about those kids, you're not going to be able to not give money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, like you just kind of have, have to give money, basically. Yeah. And also do the right thing. Part of me always thinks, just do the right thing. If you've kind of made up, if you've signed up to watch this film, mm -hmm. the agreement kind of is if you like it. Just throw them some money. It's like me Euro, right? Yes. You give them something. Yeah. Um, drop into their shop in Clontarf and, you know, buy something if you want. Yeah. But it's, it's almost like there's an unwritten contract that just, if you like it, do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on that uh, glorious note, <laughs> <laughs> I've right lived this, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank no, you so no much for that. So, we just wanted to say thanks again to Damien for taking the time to talk to us. Um, this time round in an animation community corner, we just wanted to highlight the um, women in animation, and there's uh, now an Irish chapter. Women Animation is about promoting and empowering women in the Irish animation industry and uh, they've got lots of uh, exciting events going on at the moment. Uh, you can find out all about that at www.wiaireland.com. So we just want to say thanks again for downloading the podcast. Um, if you want to get in touch, we're uh, flippedpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, facebook.com slash flippedpodcast. You can like us there. Megan is at the Meg Bar on Twitter. I'm at Aidan McAteer on Twitter. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, tell your friends and uh, come on back for the next one. Bye. <laughs>